Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Today we're starting a brand new series called The Elephant in the Room, and that is the header we use when we talk about something that everybody is thinking about, but nobody wants to talk about, especially in church. And so we're going to embark on a four-week series on the ever-important thoughts about mental health. You know, the CDC says that 50% of Americans will have some type of mental crisis at some point in their lives. Now, it could be that eighth grader going through middle school. It could be that young uh, parent that's trying to handle that newborn. It could be that middle-aged person that's searching for purpose and meaning. Or maybe that one that is pressured by the aging process. All of us deal with anxiety and stress in our lives. And if we're not going through that right now, we know someone who is. And so it's my desire over the next few weeks, and specifically today, just to start a conversation. It's evident that in the last several years, specifically the COVID years, we've seen a rise and anxiety and depression and addiction uh, just r- run rabid through our, our nation. And if we don't talk about these things, who will talk about them? And we feel like that we have the answers in God's Word. We feel like that there is a power that is greater than ourselves and it is available to us. And so today we want to start with uh, the first one is when anxiety attacks. So before we do that, I want to welcome all those in our Grovetown campus, welcome you in our South campus, all those watching online and on demand. And you know, it wouldn't be the Stevens Creek if we didn't start with something funny, right? Do you hear about the, the lady that was, uh, came to church and it was during the offering time and the usher had, had stopped right uh, where she was and she was fumbling through her purse And then out of her purse fell this large television remote, and it fell out in the aisle. And the usher reached down and picked it up and and went to hand it to her and said, do you always bring a large television remote to church with you? She said, oh, no, no, no. She said, I invited my husband to come with me, but he wouldn't come with me today. And I just thought, what is the most evil thing that I can do to him legally? The most evil thing she could do legally was take his remote. You know, people handle stress in different ways. It reminds me of that that middle-aged lady that had a heart attack, and she was in the hospital actually going through surgery, and she had one of those near-death experiences. And she was standing before God, and, and she said, God, is this it? And he said, no, you've got 30 more years. And she thought, well, if I've got 30 more years, I'm going to stay in the hospital. And she got a facelift, a tummy tuck, liposuction. She got the whole work. She even called her uh, hairstylist in to come and have a new haircut and a change of color. 
After all that was done, she was walking out of the hospital, being dismissed, and she walked right in the path of an ambulance, and she died right there. And she ended up in heaven, and, and she said, God, I thought you said I had 30 years left. He said, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't recognize you. We all deal with stress in different ways, don't we? Sometimes we just need a, a, a makeover. <laughs> well, all of us deal with anxiety, and it comes at different seasons. And anxiety is a complicated issue. It's complicated because it's physiological. It's complicated because it's emotional. It's situational. It's spiritual. And all of that together... At the very core, anxiety is this feeling of fear, dread, and uneasiness. Anxiety is that, that what if. And we start playing that over and over in our mind. What if? What if the market crashes? What if I lose my job? What if I don't have enough money to take care of my family? What if my kid gets sick? What if I get sick? I mean, we just go on and on. What if this happens or what if that happens? How will we handle that? And, and when we start to allow those questions just to stay present in our minds, it takes us to some very dark places. And oftentimes those places make us feel as if we're the only one that has ever struggled with something like this. But I just want you to know right up front that we all struggle. And if you have anxiety today, I just want to say to you, welcome to the human race. Because we all deal with, even Jesus dealt with anxiety. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus, hours before he was arrested and ultimately crucified, Jesus, under intense pressure and intense anxiety, his, he prayed with such intensity that his sweat became as great drops of blood. And so all of us deal with it. Now, how many of you have ever gotten in your car and looked at the dashboard and you, you, maybe you've seen a check engine light come on? I'll tell you, when I see a check engine light come on in my car, it makes me anxious. Like, what is going on? And I immediately think the worst about the car. Okay, we need to trade this car and we need to trade it right now. And it's just a check engine light. But, you know, when we think about the check engine light, it is really just a signal that says that there's a problem. There's a problem somewhere in the car. And that signal indicates that if you're smart, that you'll go back to the manufacturer, you'll, you'll go back to where it came from, and, and they will help you and tell you what, and they will fix the problem. Well, anxiety is like that signal. It is an alarm saying something somewhere is wrong. It's an indicator something's not right, that, that you, it would be wise for you to go to the manufacturer, to go to the creator, go to the one who made you. So here's the point. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it is time to pray. Anxiety is a signal alerting you that it is time to pray. Now, last week, I, I mentioned my fear of heights. Now, what I'm about to tell you plays into that fear. 
Now, I don't fly on an airplane a lot, but when I do fly, I always want an aisle seat. And the reason I want an aisle seat is I just rather not sit by the window. Ten years ago, and this is it all developed out of this, ten years ago, I went to a technology convention in Las Vegas, got up early, flew out, did the convention, and then took the red eye back home. Never spent the night, but took the red eye back home. I am on the window seat, and there are two large strangers on the middle seat and the aisle seat. And I drifted off to sleep. Well, not too long after that, I woke up in a total panic attack. I never had a panic attack up until this moment. I couldn't breathe. I felt constricted. I had a button-down shirt on. I took the shirt off, sitting there in a white T-shirt, my, my heart just pounding in this panic attack. The two guys beside me were sound asleep. I woke them up. I got up. I, I went to the back of the plane in panic mode. And on, on that particular plane, there was a space between the back seat and the bathroom. I laid on that dirty cold floor in between the back seat and the bathroom until this passed. It was scary. It was scary because it never happened before. A few months ago, Patty and I were on a Southwest plane. In a Southwest plane, that's like a school bus with wings. <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> Now, we were not sitting together because we, it was a last-minute flight. And uh, I am in the back of the bus, in the back of the plane. Patty's up closer to the front. And as we're flying, I, I feel this same sensation come over me like it was 10 years ago. Except this time, I started praying fervently. I had my own little Pentecostal prayer meeting in the back of that plane. And I came through that. It was scary, but here's what I've learned through, through it all. If it is big enough to worry about, then it is big enough to pray about. In your life, if it is big enough to worry about, whatever that thing is, that thing that has you up at night, that thing that you're constantly rehearsing in your mind, that you are worrying about that, if it is big enough for you to invest your time to worry over this situation, then it is big enough for you to pray about. And I would say to you, give it over to the Lord. I would say to you, surrender this problem, surrender this challenge, surrender this difficulty, surrender this worry to the Lord. Your anxiety and that feeling of being overwhelmed is an invitation for you to turn this over to the Lord. And I believe when you do that, God will give you the strength that you need. God will give you the help that you need. You do your part and God will do his part. You do your part. You surrender. You give it over. You cast your care and God will take care of you. Last year, crosswalk.com reported that the third most searched for verse last year was 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. And this is online search rankings. It said, 
Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I'm in a Bible reading plan where I'm reading the Bible through. And this past week I've been uh, reading through the book of Psalms. And over and over we see the word distress in the book of Psalms. So I thought, okay, let me go a little bit deeper. What does distress mean? And I looked it up, and this is not in a Bible dictionary. This is just like in Webster's. And it said extreme anxiety. And that day I was reading, in my distress, I called on you and you answered me. In my extreme anxiety. Cast your anxiety on the Lord because he cares for you. We have to do our part. We cast. He cares. A similar verse is Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It said, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It's interesting in this verse. It says, do not let yourselves. Do not let yourselves, do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. It says that you've got a part to play in your healing, in your deliverance. You've got a part to play in this. If you want to walk in freedom, God will do his part, but we've got to do our part. When we think about this, so many times... When anxiety comes our way, we just cower down and we just surrender to it. We just say, this is my lot in my life. This is what I have to deal with. Other people have to deal with stuff. This is what I have to deal with. And we take this on as if it is our identity. But I want you to understand that when anxiety comes your way, just don't embrace it and surrender to the anxiety, but surrender to the Lord, surrender to his power. Understand that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Understand that, that you've been given the mind of Christ. You've been filled with the Spirit of God that you're going to overcome uh, because he lives in you, that he has not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind that you are more than a conqueror. And so we rehearse that and we speak life and hope and truth through God's word. But honestly, we've got to make it an adjustment. Because we have conditioned ourselves to endure. We're going to endure the pain. We're going to walk through the process. And what I'm saying, there's a point that we push back on it. There's a point that we say, no, we're going to push back on that. We are going to do our part and God is going to give us power to overcome. That God's going to give us the strength. Now, there's a very interesting story in the Old Testament about a man named Joshua. Joshua is one of the greatest leaders in the Old Testament, but Joshua was a man, in my opinion, that struggled with anxiety. And a matter of fact, over and over, he had to be encouraged along in his leadership as he was uh, tasked to lead the people of God into the promised land. The problem was the promised land was occupied by enemy tribes. And so, and if that wasn't bad enough, Joshua was called to, to take possession of the promised land, the land of Israel, and, 
if that wasn't big enough task, the very first city that he was called to take was the city of Jericho. And Jericho was famous because they had large, thick uh, walls around the city. It was like the city was impenetrable. It was like impassable. And that they were saying, nobody is going to inherit this land. This land is our land. It's kind of interesting because so many times as we struggle with anxiety, what is common is that we build up walls around us. Now, we build walls around us to protect us from uh, other things and outside occurrences and maybe relationships or whatever else. And we build those walls to protect us. And honestly, in the last few years where we have just gone through a season where we sheltered in place, it's like the walls that we built up to protect us grew in um, size and intensity. And we locked ourselves away from people that we love and care for, things that we love to do. And in those cases, when we build up those walls, it's almost like those walls become confining, that they become our own prison. And some of you are living behind those walls now, that you've, you feel constrained, you feel like you're all by yourself, maybe like you're in solitary confinement. As Joshua surveyed the walls of Jericho, I believe this, his heart began to race. I believe his palms probably got uh, sweaty. I'm sure his, his thoughts were scrambled. I'm sure that his breath became shallow. And he's thinking like, oh, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? Anxiety gave Joshua every reason to quit. But God reached down and touched Joshua in the middle of this pressure and stress and gave him the weapons to tear down the strongholds and to attack the anxiety. And I believe that every one of us can grow stronger in our faith by embracing four principles from the life of Joshua as we look at this story from Joshua chapter 4. There are four things that I want to highlight today. The first one is this. I want you to remember God's faithfulness in your life. I want you to remember God's faithfulness. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have this unique ability to to remember things that are not important. I may remember uh, a football score from 1996, but may struggle to remember somebody's birthday or anniversary. Sometimes I remember things that are not important. Well, these things, this is important. I want you to remember God's faithfulness in your life. God gave Joshua specific instructions to mark this moment. He said, you're about to go and take the city, but I want you to do this. You're about to take the promised land, but I want you to do this before you, as you go over into the promised land. I want you to get guys to go in the middle of the Jordan River as you cross it and you will take a stone and 12 of those guys and you'll build a memorial so that you'll remember this. We pick up that story in Joshua chapter 4 verses 5 and following. 
He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God. Each of you are to pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder, 12 stones in all, one for each of the tribes of Israel. Now, we will use these stones to build a memorial. So in the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Hey, Dad, what's up with the stones? Then you can tell them, they remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the ark of the Lord's covenant went across. And these stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. God understood that people had a propensity to forget, and they would forget things. God knew that they needed something along the path to jog their memory as they went through seasons of doubt, as they went through seasons of fear or worry. So before going into the promised land, God had Joshua set up a system to help them remember God's faithfulness. God was giving them a weapon to attack against the enemy. This memorial was placed at the point that they entered the promised land, meaning that if they ever wanted to return to the life of slavery, they had to walk by this memorial. They had to see where they had come from. They had to see that this is a reminder that God was faithful, that God allowed them to cross over the Jordan, that God had given them this land. When you feel your anxiety rising up and your, thought, your thoughts start leading you back to where you come from, back to a life of enslavement, back to a life of bondage, back to a life uh, of darkness, you need something to help you remember that God has been faithful, that you are where you are because God has allowed you to be here. You are in a promised land experience. And I don't know what you need to jog your memory. Maybe it's a list on your phone. Maybe um, it is a, a picture on your uh, bathroom mirror or maybe on your dashboard. It is something to remind yourself that God is in control, to remind yourself that God is with you. I don't know how tomorrow is going to unfold. I don't know what's going to happen, but I have this confidence that God is with me. I don't know if this challenge that you are dealing with right now I don't know how long it's going to last, but I do know every step of the way that God is with you. I don't know when this current wave of worry is going to leave. But as you go through this, remind yourself God is with you. What God, I think when we remember what God has done for us in the past, it brings peace to us in the present moment. And so, remember God's faithfulness. Here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to recruit an army to march with you. I want you to recruit an army to march with you. Anxiety is not a foe that we can conquer by ourselves. We can't conquer it alone. And, and God knowing this, 
He told Joshua to get some help. We pick it up in Joshua 6 and verse 2. But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho. I have given you its kings and all its strong warriors. Notice verse 3. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. He said, I want you to go get some fighting men and march around the the walls one time a day for six days. So let me ask you a question. Who's in your army? If you're going to win the battle of anxiety, then you need at least three groups of people in your army to fight this battle with you. The first group of people that you need on your side is that you need your family. You need your family because they can give you what nobody else can give you. Your family will give you unconditional love. But for most people, the family is the hardest group to open up to. And you struggle to do that. But the irony is this. They already know. They already know the struggle. They already know what you're going through. They've already seen the symptoms. They've watched you over the years. They know that. I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night feeling like I am having a heart attack. And Patty put her hands on my arm and say, breathe, Marty, breathe, breathe. And she'd say, Jesus, Jesus, help us. Then she'd say, breathe. Breathe, and she would speak calm, and she would be there for me. And then she'd say, do you need a nitroglycerin tablet? <laughs> like for two years, that was a common thing to the point where she, she may even have nitroglycerin in her purse today as a result of that. But we're past that, thank the Lord. But, but you need somebody that when you cry out for help, that they're going to be there saying, breathe, breathe. Just, just take a deep breath here. If you keep your family at arm's length, it only keeps you at a distance from a helping hand. So I said there's three groups. You need your family. Here's the second thing. You need your friends and your church group. You need your friends and your church group, your small group, your your serving team. Because this group can offer prayer and they can offer practical help. They can offer people who will listen to you and people who will give you encouragement. And I realize some of you say, well, I just go to the Lord for encouragement. Yeah, you need to do that, but I'm telling you, you need somebody with skin on. You need somebody that will listen to you. And, and this is what the, the New Testament says. He said, but in, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, but encourage one another daily. He's speaking to the church. So we have this responsibility as being members of the church. This is more than just a nonprofit organization. This is just more than a positive uh, thinking group. This is the church. We've been called out of darkness. We have transformed into his light. 
We are brothers and sisters together. We have to see the church that way. The church is more than a show. The church is more than an event. It's more than a holiday experience. The church is about being together in a spiritual family where we pray one for another. Over and over you see in the scriptures where two shall agree touching one thing, it shall be done. Where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of it. Over and over, we see this connectedness in the church. And it's in this connectedness that we find strength and that we find help in time of need. I said you need three groups. You need your family, you need your your friends and your church group. And the third group is that you need doctors and you need counselors. Sometimes anxiety is so severe that it's going to require professional help and medical help and maybe counseling or therapy along the way. And let me say this, there is no shame in getting help. There's no shame in this. God gave us doctors and God gave us medicine for scenarios similar to this. And so we need to understand that sometimes your brain gets ill. And you wouldn't think twice if you had some other kind of illness in your body and you have some kind of infection in your body, you're going to go right to the, um, the minute clinic and get some type of medicine to help you. And there are times that, that you just need help because your brain is ill. And I thank God for godly professionals, godly medical people who will treat somebody holistically, body, soul, mind, and spirit. And it's got to be holistically. You don't need to be going to some atheistic type of person that will take you down the wrong path. But go to someone that understands who you are and who God's made you to be. I thank God for godly professionals. But so many times we don't do that because somewhere along the way, we felt like there's shame in that. And so we just want to keep it quiet. We want to keep it in the dark. But I've learned that the things that we keep in the dark always hold us back and ultimately can cause harm. Think about this. Nothing healthy grows in the dark. Flowers, fruit trees, vegetables, all of them require sunshine. Those things that grow in the dark are mainly like spores and fungi and, fungi and moss and all of those things. Mold. They grow in the dark. Are you willing to let others into your battle? I hope you are. Here's the third thing. I want you to release control through prayer. Now, for some, prayer is a a mystery. I don't know if I'm just very proficient with this. I just want you to understand that prayer is nothing more than reaffirming that God is in control of my life. It is once again saying, God, I surrender my life to you. Lead me and guide me. 
I think that's exactly what Joshua did as he was feeling the weight of his responsibility of leadership. I can just imagine as he is taking over. The reason he's taking over because Moses, the greatest leader in the, in the Old Testament, is now dead. And now it's Joshua's responsibility. I can imagine as he's taking the role of leadership, he is thinking, Oh, my goodness, now it's up to me. I am the spiritual leader. I'm not cut out to be the spiritual leader. And I'm sure there's pressure and stress and anxiety as a result of that. Now, he goes over um, into the promised land. And he, God says, you've got to conquer the cities. And he said, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not that good. Of, I'm, I'm not a military leader. I've, I've never led a, an army before. And, and then as he moves over into the promised land, the manna, the provision that he fed the people stopped. And I'm sure he's thinking, God, how am I going to provide for all of these people? He's got 12 tribes. He's got to divide all the land between 12 groups of people. God, how am I going to keep everybody happy? He's got to keep them in spiritual alignment with God. How am I going to keep these people acceptable to you? All of this started to play in on Joshua. And I believe that those or things like that would cause Joshua to panic to the point where he didn't even recognize the presence of God when God was right in front of him. In Joshua chapter 5, we see that he was in such an anxious state that he really couldn't tell the difference between good and evil and God and the devil. Joshua chapter 5, he said, when Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and demanded, hey, are you a friend? Are you my foe? Neither one, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua. Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? And the commander of the Lord's army said, Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. Now, in that culture, when you removed your sandals, when you removed your shoes, you would only do that when you were at a place where you felt you were safe and you were relaxed and you were comforted in your own home. And so right here on this road, the Lord is saying to Joshua, I want you to give this over to me and I want you to take off your, show, your shoes because you can rest right now, because you can rest in my presence. You can rest even in the midst of of the battle that you are waging now. You see, anxiety is this invitation to give those things to God that you cannot handle. You've got to release them. Say, God, I am giving you this, and you have to name that issue. You name that problem. You name that thing that is causing you uh, to, to be on edge and to be nervous. So we release it to God. Here's the fourth thing as we work toward closing. I want you to learn to appreciate the partial victories as you continue with the struggle. I think this is a point in our lives where we replace the idea of being cured with the idea of continually getting better. We replace that idea of being cured with the idea of continually getting better. 
that I don't have to wait till the struggle is completely gone to know that God is working on my life. That we understand God-sized results come step by step by step. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 15, remember they marched around Jericho one time every day for six days. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. For seven days, the only thing that they had to do is walk around one time. Now, during this time, up until this moment, there's no great miracles, no great leaps, It's just lap after lap after lap. They kept staying the course. And I think the key to staying the course is to celebrate every lap they made. We drop down to verse 20. It says, when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. And suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed. And the Israelites charged straight into the town and they captured it. The interesting thing, they sounded the ram's horn. They sounded the trumpet. Typically in battle, you sounded the ram's horn or the trumpet to signify a victory has happened. Now what in this case is they were sounding the trumpet before the victory took place. God told them to celebrate before the walls came down. And that's what some of you need to do. You need to celebrate. You need to celebrate the partial victories. You need to celebrate how far you've come. You may not be free from alcohol, but my goodness, you hadn't drinking in seven days. Mark that moment. You may not be free from this depression, but at least you're out and you're in church and you're around people. Celebrate that. You've made progress here. I may not be out of the woods, but I am getting better with every session of counseling that I am going through. We celebrate the process. And as we celebrate the process and we celebrate the lapse... I believe the walls are coming down in our lives and we are finding freedom in Jesus' name. This is a struggle. But God's bigger than the struggle. I don't know what you're faced with. I don't know the stressor, the stress, or the pressure, but I do know that God is with you. And that he is going to be with you. And I want you to come to the place where you open up to him. And you receive his peace and his rest. And you thank him in advance for what he's going to do. Now, we talk about specific praying. This is the time. I want you to name it. God, this is what I worry about. This is what I'm concerned about. And you just name it. And that we bring that to the Lord today in prayer. So let's stand up in this auditorium in our Grove Town campus, South Campus. And I just want to pray over you.
I want to pray that the presence of the Lord will rest on you and give you this peace that you need. Okay, are you ready? Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over this church. God, I understand that we live in a real world and we live in a broken world. And there have been so many traumas that have happened in the past that are playing into the the anxiety of this moment. And I pray, God, that you would bring healing. I pray for a healing of memories. God, that you would reach down just as you have touched people and healed them of cancer and healed them of heart disease and and healed them of uh, other ailments, that today that you would come and bring a healing of memories. Father, I pray that you, Lord, would speak calm and that you would speak rest over people. We push back the fear. The fear that has you hiding back or or pushing away from people. In the name of Jesus, we push back the fear. God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you love, peace, and a sound mind. I speak life over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for those that have never made Jesus the Lord of their life and that this would be the moment that you would surrender your life to Jesus. Say, Jesus, save me. Father, I pray, God, that you would set people free, that you would sanctify them today, that you would set them free from those things that are pulling them back, that as they want to go back to their slavery, that they would see that memorial your faithfulness in their lives. So come, Lord, give us strength to stay marching. Give us strength to continue pressing forward. We thank you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. So God, today we receive, say that, say, God, today I receive what you have for me. Say, God, I receive your peace in Jesus' name. I receive your help In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, and amen. Let's give him praise today. Well, next week, we're going to continue this series, and Pastor Joe Dobbins is going to be here. Joe is from Twin Rivers Church in St. Louis, and this is his series, and I thought it was only appropriate that as we uh, join with Twin Rivers to do this series... Uh, that Joe would be here preaching for us. So many of you heard him last year at the Revival, and so he's a house favorite. So be here next week. Look forward to seeing you then. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.